Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. Today, I am joined by entrepreneur, author, podcaster, and founder of the award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect, Poppy Jamie. In 2012, Poppy graduated from the London School of Economics and subsequently travelled to LA to work with MTV as ITN's youngest ever British presenter, launching Pillow Talk with Poppy. It was on a night out in LA where she met future friend and business partner, Suki Waterhouse. Hitting it off straight away, they launched the fashion accessories brand Pop and Suki. The following year was a whirlwind. The business popped off, pun unintended, and Poppy found herself living a life fueled with events, shoots and success as the brand went from strength to strength. To an outsider, Poppy was living the dream, surrounded by celebrity friends, a thriving business with considerable financial backing, working with her best friend every day and a social calendar to die for. But inside, Poppy was fighting a battle that not even she fully understood. Riddled with anxiety, stress and exhaustion, Poppy's mental and physical health began to deteriorate until one day it snapped. In 2016, Poppy suffered an emotional breakdown. She was hospitalised and diagnosed with chronic exhaustion. Unrecognisable to herself, Poppy was frustrated with why she wasn't happy when on the surface she had everything she ever wanted. Realising that something needed to change, she spent the following years trying to better her mental health and find more ways of actively combating these emotions. In the latter years of her 20s, Poppy launched the Happy Not Perfect Mindfulness app and also published her first book and started the podcast with the same title, impacting many lives along the way. Poppy's 20s journey is evidence that sometimes our darkest times happen so as to provide more light for our future. Her current success and the amount of people her organisation has helped over the years is a testament to the empathetic, driven and grounded person that she is, and it's an honour to have her on the podcast today. Poppy Jamie, welcome to 20 Not Something. Oh, that is such a lovely introduction. Honestly, I think that's the best intro- introduction I've ever heard. Oh. Um, so thank you for uh, putting that together. That's really, <laughs> it's, it's so funny, actually, thinking back to the last crazy 10 years, uh, because I've just turned 30. So it really has been a whirlwind and yeah. one that's quite nice to reflect on. Yeah, well, that's exactly why I wanted to get you on because I saw that on your Instagram and I was like, oh, it's going to be really fresh. She's going to have this whole sort of, you know, ready to reflect on it because it is. That's why I love talking about this decade. It's that you change so much, don't you, from the start to the end? Oh, 100%. And I don't know what years you have the most accelerated change because... The Saturn return for anyone who's into astrology kind of happens at your 27th, 28th year. And that's when, oh, there was just massive kind of destruction and change. And I was always, always very aware that these years were potentially could be quite turbulent and it exceeded any expectation I had. It was really, really turbulent. But I have to say, to your point, you just also said, there is no storm without a beautiful rainbow afterwards. And I had so many turbulent years in my 20s, but I have to say I wouldn't change any of them. Mm. Going right back to the beginning then, when you were looking into your 20s decade, can you remember what the one thing you wanted the most was? 
Oh, yes. I was so determined to be a TV presenter. It was like I was starving for it. It was, I was mm. hunting it so badly because I was always told I couldn't do it. And so as a consequence, I was like, well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you. And also coupled, and this is what I write about in the book a lot, is your early 20s is often, well, your whole life is a product of your childhood, but your early 20s, I think, is really indicative of what you've started to believe about yourself in your teenage years. And so I started to believe when I was, you know, 12 or 13, being a really mediocre person. I was so average. I had no superpower. It wasn't like I was great at one subject. Or it wasn't like I was particularly good at sport or, you know, it was never the, you know what I mean? I was average looking, just this like, very average, very middle of the road. And so I'd always think like, where is my superpower? Like what, what makes me me? Because, you know, I look over there and, you know, Sarah, she's got great hair and, you know, <laughs> like Daisy's, she's great at art and, you know, everyone kind of had their, you know, what what felt like their special thing. And I was kind of always in search of mine. And so I was, so in a way, I wanted to be a TV presenter for many reasons. But one, because I felt that if I became a TV presenter, then I would be enough then because I felt I was so unenough. I was so... Mm felt so unworthy inside that I felt I had to change my external environment to make myself worthy. So at the beginning of my twenties, I was the, I didn't realize I was so insecure, but I was the peak of insecurity. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, that was really on the radar and hence why when I got to university, I started um, TV presenting at the same time. So I basically had two jobs from the age of 19 and so I was working from 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. Wow. Wow. It's so interesting what you just said about um, not being enough, because that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about, because actually when I was reading your book, I think it's like the first chapter, you talk about those core beliefs that we we make as children. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because your first one was obviously not being good enough. And when you started talking about how you'd look back through your diaries um, and what you'd written about yourself. I I did the same and I was like, oh my God, I was so cruel to my 12, you know, as a 12 year old girl drawing a picture of my face and pointing out all the reasons I'm not good enough. Like, and I wanted to talk to you about it because I think it's such a prevalent feeling amongst not only people in their twenties, but you know, everyone. Where do you think that comes from that feeling of just not being good enough? So, when we're little, we obviously don't have, well, f- first of all, our brain isn't fully form- formed. It, uh, when we're, when we turn 25, and obviously it's not exactly the 25th birthday, but it takes up to 25 years for our brain to fully form and the prefrontal cortex, which is the computer side of the brain, to, uh, fully develop. So in our teenage years, we do not have the wise part of our brain, mm-hmm. um, fully formed. And so it means that we take on everything mostly as fact. So when Whatever happens around us, we interpret it and turn it into a set of rules and beliefs for how we understand the world around us. So, for example, in my 12-year-old diary entries that I included in the book, it's so sad. I inc- they're, they're all about being dumped. <laughs> Not that I even <laughs> <Same>. had. <laughs> 
<laughs> there weren't even kind of it's not like we even had like relationships or any description it was basically like oh you're going out with so-and-so and you never spoke to them you didn't even hold hands it was just this kind of unwritten rule that yeah. you're going out with someone and uh and then they would dump you <laughs> and you know obviously i you know i woman that little we don't have the perspective to go this is a 12 year old boy. Of course, mm. you know, what on earth are we even doing here? Like, what does even dumping mean? It, it means nothing about me. But because we don't have any perspective, we just take that on as, oh my God, that's rejection. And so, mm. as a consequence, our brain goes, oh my gosh, well, maybe if I was better, then they wouldn't have rejected me. And let's say a friend is mean to you. And then you go, oh, well, maybe if I was cooler, maybe I was better, maybe if I was prettier, maybe if I was, that would, they wouldn't have rejected me. And especially if anyone has gone, has been, you know, gone through bullying, which I feel all of us have in different shapes and forms, bullying, you know, there's a belief that, oh, I wouldn't be bullied if I was better. Mm. And so we all start believing, well, we're not good enough as we are. And we all have the same needs. Every single human being wants to feel loved, enough and accepted. Those things we are all craving from such a young age. And so when we don't feel like we're enough and we don't feel accepted, we turn that into usually like self-criticism of ourselves. Yeah, it all just like makes so much sense when you put it like that. I get, I guess, like when when we're at school, we don't think about how like those sort of previous um, encounters, which seems so minimal, you know, to to an outsider, like being dumped by a boy you've known for two weeks, but they all add right. up, don't they? Right? And then, totally. Yeah, yeah. They're all yeah. micro wounds, and so when people say, "Oh, do you have mental health?" It's like saying, has anybody been cut? Has anyone fallen over? Everybody put their hands up. Go, oh, God, yeah, I've had a physical bruise. Mm. But we all have we all have emotional bruises. And so we all go through life and we all got slightly hit in different ways. And it could be as, you know, as minor as, oh, not being picked for the team, but you really wanted to be a part of the team because the sports team meant that you felt you were you you felt a, a sense of belonging that we have all developed from, you know, caveman times. And so our great ancestors, that was the word I was looking for, our great ancestors. To be a part of the tribe meant a sense of belonging. They were safe if they were part of, part of a tribe. They would get food. They'd be looked after. If you were excluded from the tribe, our fear senses within go, oh, my God, alarm, alarm, alarm. This could mean danger. So if you're not picked for the team, if you don't feel like you were enough for a particular social group at school, that would probably make anybody feel very stressed inside, even if they weren't old enough to even acknowledge that it was stress that they were feeling, it wouldn't have felt very nice. Yeah. And that not nice feeling, we turn into beliefs about ourselves. And what kind of a story my mother, who's a psychotherapist, told me, she had a client who was in their 60s and um, he, for his entire life, had experienced depression. And so my mother, you know, obviously in, in, in therapy, you kind of go through, well, how, how has today come about? What are the things that potentially happened in your life to cause you to believe this about yourself and the world? Anyway, so after a couple of sessions, he suddenly goes, oh my God, I remember a time when I was six and I stood up in class and, and I was asked to spell my name 
and I got so nervous that I forgot and the whole class turned around and said you're so stupid you're so stupid as just kind of kids don't realize how mean they are now this man forever for 50 years believed that he was stupid so he didn't put himself forward for jobs he dropped out of school he didn't feel like he'd have a relationship because he didn't think he was clever enough and then at 60 having his whole life being ruined by just by a moment and he said he broke down to tears and he said oh my god I realize now I'm not stupid oh my gosh and it just shows you like for anyone listening really challenge what you believe is true about you because usually you've been told it by somebody that probably didn't even mean it or was never about you in the first place and you've you've turned a meaningless event into something that you believe has that you believe is about you Mm. it it can totally ruin and affect our lives forever if we don't really delve in and go Mm, okay I'm willing to reassess all the thoughts I have about myself 100% that is so powerful oh gosh yeah I mean if there's any incentive to you know go back and think over these core beliefs it's it's that um so kind of rewinding then back to your early to mid-20s talk to me a little bit about that time in in LA and 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 how you were feeling and what that sort of lifestyle was because it sounded like a proper whirlwind So I moved to LA when I was 22 or 23 and it was, when I first got there, it was so unwild. I remember booking an Airbnb on the plane. I arrived, I'd I'd saved up money because I realised that I'd have to be there for a few months, try to get a TV job out there. And so I was living in this place that that was $35 a night, if not less. It had barbed wire on the windows um, and it was so unglam. And I arrived being like, this is not LA, I thought. This is not what I've seen in the movies. And, um, but I was so, in a way, I didn't realise what moving to LA meant really um, and really what to expect. Truly, I didn't really think through my plans. And actually, I think this is the beauty of your 20s is that you can do things really fearlessly because it doesn't really matter. Like that actually, these are the years that you, that it's good to make as many mistakes as possible. Say yes to everything and it doesn't quite matter where you end up because you're so young and that's the one thing I look back at my younger self and I'm so pleased that I was almost deluded in my visions for life I was like oh I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this and um and so it was pretty grim when I first moved there being like god I don't have any friends and I don't have a job and I'm living in this really random like dungeon and then I moved to go uh and then I was like asking around I I kind of found one old friend that I knew vaguely from school who'd moved out there so I had one friend and I said oh I'm looking for somewhere else to live and she said oh you should live with my friend she is a beauty pageant queen so I ended up having this crazy year living with this beauty pageant queen with this huge St. Bernard dog like Beethoven. And in, um, and in that year, what's so amazing when you move away from home is that you don't have the comforts. You, it's not like you're going to stay in and just hang out because there is no kind of comfortable hanging out. You're kind of forced to go, if I'm going to be here, I've got to make some friends. And, um, and so it wasn't long before I got told or some other British girls were coming out here, I should meet them. 
And then I ended up meeting my best friend, Suki, my other best friend, Jazzy. I ended up becoming best friends with this, this, with this guy in Texas. And then I started to kind of go to Texas. And, you know, for, for a 23-year-old, I didn't even realize Texas probably existed, let alone <laughs> went to go kind of like live there for a bit. And, um, and I then, out of nowhere, met this woman on a train because uh, I had to keep coming back to England, like work for some more money and then go back out there. And I was on this random train and I started talking to the person next to me because she had American accent. And I said, oh, I've just been to L.A. And she said, oh, I live in L.A. And um, and I, I was still working for ITN doing TV interviews. And I said, she said, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a, TV, inter- a TV interviewer. And she says, oh, I work for MTV. Like, no. Wow. So honestly, the, the idea of being so open that you're willing to talk to strangers on trains um, helped me get my first job. I started then being uh, the host for MTV International, hosting all the award shows, the, the, the red carpet award shows. Um, and uh, and then that led me to meeting the founder of Snapchat and Snapchat had just first launched. And so we're now 2015, like suddenly technology is moving to LA, the whole place is changing. And uh, and then I launched my first talk show and I was like, Snapchat. And I was like, oh God, that like, I'm sure that's, you know, the app that you just basically send willy pictures. Like, how, <laughs> like why, why do you want to do a TV show? And he's like, no, 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 we've got, you know, 80 million people on the app. And I'm like, oh, 80 million people. Wow. Yeah, we should definitely do a TV show then. And um, and it was kind of this, it was, yeah, it was really wild, wild years of, you know, all my friends who'd moved out there, suddenly their careers were, you know, kicking off and they were doing lots of different things and acting and music. And then also what you realize is that, the community you choose to surround yourself with really affects kind of, I guess, how you see the world, even the opportunities you're doing, because, you know, people rise together. Lol, working from home. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny because it's true because you are the five people that you, what did they say? You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. It couldn't be more true. Mm. And they really shaped, and the five people I spent the most time with in my 20s completely shaped my journey. Um, but, you know, that's all the, you know, I just told you the story of all like, the fancy fun and the parties and everything you would assume is kind of very fast kind of media life would look like but as you mentioned at the beginning it was very far from that underneath and you know I got to the stage where I was hosting the show for Snapchat and then I would fly back from LA to London to host the show on, um, on Sky One and I was doing these transatlantic flights every single week because still you're not being paid that much you know these jobs sound super fancy and glam but I was still having I was still having to say absolutely yes to everything just to kind of make enough money to pay my rent and all all of those sort of things and um I think sometimes like we you know we assume these like super glossy lives are problem free and it was it, it, it was the exact opposite in a way it was I was putting so much pressure on myself to try to kind of keep up. And, um, and so then it kind of all crashed. Yeah. That must be so tricky as well, because I mean, you know, we are 
products of our environment and we compare ourselves continuously and I'm sure you know to a lot of your friends were looking at you and being like oh Poppy's doing so well she's you know anyone who says oh I'm just going to LA to record this TV show like how cool does that sound it's so cool but I guess if you're not you know in yourself feeling comfortable with it or or that it's it affects you doesn't it in so many ways that people don't even understand and I know that you've been quite open in the past about you know what happened to you in terms of the breakdown that you had but I just wondered if it would be okay to talk a little bit about about that and how you got through that time because it must have been extremely tough. Yeah and I think you know Instagram accelerated comparison. We human beings for our entire species have compared each other because you know it's given us almost data upon ourselves like ah oh, that person do do would I like a job like theirs or would I like a lifestyle like theirs and we kind of through comparing ourselves we actually understand ourselves better and that's healthy comparison but then it goes into toxic comparison when we forget that all of us are on completely different journeys all of us are in different seasons so some people have their career breaks in their early 20s other people have their career breaks in their 30s and people have their career breaks in their 40s like we're all on different curves some people have you know are in relationships other people are single and then people in relationships become single and they then get relationships like there is it's it's ludicrous for us to compare ourselves to somebody else in a moment of time because our journeys are like snakes and ladders you know it's like four steps oh dear snake yeah like seven (laughs) and then it's like oh my god yeah ladder up seven you know no we're all on snakes and ladders at different points and also we've got I I truly believe we all have the same amount of blessings in our life and we all have the same amount of challenges they just come in different forms and we experience them at different times Mm. so um you know I was I think I was putting so much pressure on myself to you know perform be better you know survive and so I was you know saying yes to all these different shows and um you know and 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 I was so run down I mean I wasn't sleeping I was like continuously jet lagged would be working to the early hours of the morning then wake up then feel I would have to do some like intensive exercise then rush and say yes to kind of social things as well as work things that there was not a second in the day that I stopped I remember my mother saying Poppy you've got to slow down you've got to slow down you've got to slow down I was like no I can't slow down I don't I don't have I don't have time to slow down and when anyone says that that is the biggest alarm bell ever and uh, um and st- i started uh, to see signs that my health was de- deteriorating so yes i was really stressed and very anxious but i was very good at numbing myself and ignoring how i was feeling because it wasn't helpful i was like nope this is distracting just ignore that and so suddenly my digestion would just stop and my tummy became so bloated and hard it was so uncomfortable I could barely do up trousers um it really looked like I was like a few months pregnant and it was it was kind of that bloat where as I said like if you it was like fully hard it was horrible and I started to get lots of back pain and I started to get ill quite a lot um and I would always and I always know my my immune system is is run down because I get terrible sore throats like we all have different things like is it your headaches is it your back pain is it something or other like it just goes as your first line of defense and 
you know, and I tried to ignore that for so long until one day I woke up in so much pain and I was by myself and I was terrified because it's not like I had any family nearby. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to go to hospital because I don't know how else to see a doctor in America. So I drove to hospital and I lay there being just in total despair, feeling awful. And they did loads of tests and they came back saying, you're chronically exhausted. And I was like, no, give me another diagnosis. It has to be something more than just this. And they said, no, you're really, really exhausted. You need to rest. And, um, And that was the first moment when I realized that I was so out of balance and I had been sacrificing my health in order to strive for inverted commas success, because I felt that if I was perfect and if I was successful, then I would be happy and I wouldn't have any problems. But I learned a great lesson that happiness doesn't need to wait. Actually, mm-hmm. accepting that we're never going to complete our journeys. Mm-hmm. It's not like as soon as we get that job, or we get into that university we really want to get to, or it's not like our journey completes then and we're happy forever. And we have this illusion that happiness comes when we complete a goal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, goals are an goals are an illusion anyway and also the human condition is to always want more and that's okay but when you're doing it in such an extreme way as I was and perfectionism was just totally totally taking over I kind of like had the consequences of that Mm. coming off what you just said it it reminded me of um someone came on the podcast a couple of seasons ago and said um how he doesn't chase happiness because of that reason in terms of like, you know, some people go out and they strive for success or they strive for, you know, goals or whatever. But he was like, I don't actually go out and seek happiness because it is an illusion. And I wanted to get your opinion on that because obviously from what you just said, you know, we should, we should be chasing happiness over perfection a hundred percent, but is even chasing happiness a healthy way to live life? Do you think? I think that so in the middle of the night I had these words happy not perfect just drop into my mind Mm. and at 3am I woke up and I was like oh my god this feels like a prayer but also it feels like this massive signpost from like the world the universe whatever you want to call it to be like you've been getting this quite wrong pops Mm -hmm. and um and I had equated happy equals perfect perfect equals happy when I'm perfect I'll be happy and um and happiness equals like perfection and suddenly I realized that actually happiness comes when we fully are ready to accept our flaws and our warts and the things that go wrong and we're fully able just to go oh it's fucked up and that's okay because that's life that's life and also this idea that there is no such thing as perfect and actually the root of the root of unhappiness is believing that there there is perfect because it is like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow Mm. and so happiness in itself isn't perfect because happiness is fleeting and we have culturally put a premium on this feeling of happiness it's like oh there's a smile you know you you'll be happier if you buy this and you know if you're not happy then you should be worried there's something wrong with you and what I've really learned in the last six years is that actually 
all emotions are brilliant because all emotions are our messages, chemical messages, telling us information about our reality and about ourselves. And so there is no hierarchy. Mm. And so actually happiness is, is fleeting and it's lovely, but that's what's great about it. It, it doesn't stay and it doesn't last forever. I love that. I love that you've sort of, the way that you've explained that, it's like to, that they are separate things because you're right, so many of us equate happiness and perfection to be, you know, the same thing and, and they're just not. Um, I Before we move on to play the game, I wanted to talk about um, one of my favourite episodes on your podcast actually was with Emma Gannon and it was when you were talking about um, the inner critic and suffering from imposter syndrome and I read an article that you um, spoke about in an interview afterwards uh, and you call it the bitchy inner voice ruining my life and I love it I literally I'm like (laughs) I just love the sentiment but do you remember the first time that you felt that bitchy inner voice and do you still listen to her now does she still talk I mean of course this is the thing you know, we're never going to be have, you know, going back to your point before, we're never going to have perfect mental health. No one ever has inner peace for the rest of their life because they did one great meditation or read one book. Like we are just a constant, you know, the ego mind, which I call my bitchy inner critic is, is always, is always with us. It's that never ending chattering mind, but we are not that we are not that voice because we wouldn't be able to observe the voice if we were that voice. So when you, when you're able to kind of almost step out of yourself for a second and be like, what on earth is she saying to me? And it's really helpful to journal or even talk to a friend because we have blind spots. So information theory research shows that 11 million pieces of information are being bombarded at our um, our brain in, in one second. And our conscious brain can only process 50. So we have 10,950,000 pieces of information that we can't process, we are unaware of. So we all have blind spots. And the problem with are in a critic is that it focuses our mind on usually the negatives in our life, like where we fucked up, where we could have been better. And that's why it's really helpful to either do exercises with yourself to say, okay, how can I open myself up to my blind spots? How can I actually shift my perspective to think, actually, what went right today? What can I be grateful for today? What would a friend advise me experiencing what I am now? And we actually use a different part of our brain to kind of gain a bit more awareness about what's going on and be less 2D narrowed on kind of what our bitchy and a critic wants us to uh, focus on. Mm. And, you know, I think um, we can confuse ourselves that our bitchy and a critic is telling us facts. So when she is screaming um, or not screaming or just, you know, just being brutal with her thoughts, like, oh my God, they don't like me oh, they thought this about me, do they think I was annoying? Um, You know, like, oh, what if this happens? Uh, And so in the book, uh, step two is curiosity. And so the step of curiosity is so key in disabling your bitchy inner critic. And um, and there are four questions, and my inspiration for this was a woman called Byron Katie. So so rather than accepting what what we're thinking, we actually get into the mode of challenging, investigating. So first of all, we begin the question with, well, is this thought true that people find me annoying? 
hmm, is this thought true? Well, my bitch in the critic is like, yes, it's true. Okay. <laughs> is, can I obs? Can I be a hundred percent sure this is true? Well, no, because I can't look into everybody's minds and I, I'm like, not everyone usually always thinks the same. So no, I can't be a hundred percent sure that's true. How does this thought make me feel? Well, very insecure, my worst self, like low energy, unmotivated. And who would I be without this thought? Happy, confident, go-getting, motivated. And suddenly you realize, actually, the root of our suffering is usually like within our thoughts, coming from our bitchy and critic, our ego mind, that are probably not even true. Mm. And so it's not something, you know, I went through a phase of like, I hate my bitchy and critic. No, our bitchy and critic is only trying to keep us safe. So we can't shout back to this voice being like, shut up, because, you know, aggression meets aggression just creates a thunderstorm. But actually we can meet this bitchy and critic with compassion and kindness. And we're like, you know what? It's, it's okay. I know you're trying to keep me safe, but actually I found a better route to keep me safe. I'm going to choose kindness. And so you kind of, you know, it takes a while, but you start to gently say, Hmm, would I tell a friend what she's telling me now? Mm. No. And, um, so curiosity and compassion are two such vital kind of skills and don't, no one's born with them so they're skills that we learn and they make us so resilient because the things that are holding us back are usually our fears that is false evidence appearing real you break down fear that are not based in any fact at all mm. I love that I'm imagining little people in my head and the bitchy and a critic I'm just like giving her a cup of tea and being like okay babes I hear you but chill out yeah like it's just okay <laughs> right and also that is such a lovely thing to tell yourself like I hear you fully appreciate where you're coming Loud from and clear. Mm. I hear you but actually I know that I've got a blind spot I know science has taught me that you are naturally you know you're a bit of a worry wart you're trying to keep me safe I know that and that's normal but actually I'm going to choose a different way to respond to this situation We're going to go on to play Millennial Mindsweeper now. Um, and now I know you are the queen of quotes because every time on your podcast you ask your guests what their favourite quote is. But I do a slightly different version where I read you quotes slash Ooh. different facts or things about life or millennials or whatever. And then you just have to give your opinion on it, whether you agree with it. We unpack it a little bit and um, yeah, just see how we go. Love. Sounds good. Wait. Yeah. Okay, cool. So our first one is... What do you think you create, what you feel you attract, what you imagine you become? And that is by Rhonda Byrne from The Secret. I don't know if you've read The Secret. Yes, yeah. love that. I wanted to get your opinion on whether the whole law of attraction thing, um, whether you believe it or not. Well, such a good question. Um, I like it, but I'm find it a little bit weak in many places because it focuses a lot on you know the power of thought and yes as we've discussed in this podcast the power of thought is important but what's even more important than thought is action mm -hmm. and so 
you can't just sit there and imagine your wildest dreams happen, um, your wildest dreams happening without real action. We all need to push and push and, you know, slightly move into that uncomfortable growth area. And also, usually growth happens when we're feeling a bit vulnerable too. When we when we are feeling a bit imposter syndrome, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And we actually can use the tools of flexible thinking that I write about in the book to at, use our present to manifest a better future. What I think is limiting in the secret is that it doesn't really ask you to explore why your life is where it is right now. You know, as the ancient Greeks said, know thyself. When you understand your past and you understand why you react to situations in the way that you do, that is such power to then be able to change your response in the present. And if you change your response, you can have a different future. The definition of insanity, uh, according to Einstein, is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that it would be lovely to think that you can just imagine a different reality, but our brain is super clever. We can't sit there in front of the mirror and just go, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. If we don't prove to ourselves that we love ourselves, If you just said to your dog, I love you. I love you, but didn't feed your dog. That's neglect. Mm. So it's the same with a human being. You can't just say these things to a human being. You have to act like love is a, is a doing word. So that's my problem with the secret. There's not enough action behind it because action is really where you demonstrate to yourself that you believe in yourself and you also are telling and showing the universe that you want something. Mm, I love that analogy. Poppy, you're literally so wise. Like every time you speak, I'm like, oh yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, that's so that's so true. Oh gosh, wow. Okay, our, our next one is... I think everything in the world is just about having fucking confidence in who you are at any given moment. And that is from a book I'm reading at the moment called Three Women by Lisa Taddeo. Um, and uh, yeah, what, what do you reckon it, that everything is just about having confidence? I actually really love that quote because um, I have a, a, a chapter in the book called Flex Confidence. And really confidence lies on the other side of fear. And so, you know, the only thing that holds us back from living the greatest life is our fear, fear of, you know, other people. I talk about that. Um, FOPO, fear of people's opinions, FOBO, <laughs> fear of bad outcomes, um, you know, FOPO and FOBO, the new FOMO. And um, yeah, fear is what holds us back. So when we and w what I find interesting about confidence. So William James is, was one of the first psychologists and he created this equation of um about, about happiness happiness equals self um happiness equals expectations over reality but also that also kind of links to confidence as well he also meant it around self-esteem like self-esteem really comes from like the um what we think about ourselves and like what reality what we believe our reality is and um and so i think confidence is needs to also i think be slightly redefined because often i think we get confidence when we compare ourselves to someone we're like oh we're doing better than them and then we feel good and that's kind of i think a very weak ground to build your uh, confidence on 
But when we actually focus on building confidence through self-acceptance, this this kind of total embracing of who we are, you know, our, as I said before, our warts and um, our worries and our wonder, when we're able to fully embrace ourselves as 360 individuals and go, yes, I am good enough just as I am right now and I'm ready because I trust life. I trust that I can handle anything that comes my way and I trust that life would never give me a challenge too great for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I love about having fucking confidence, whatever she said, and I love to swear too because I think it gives me kind of like extra power at times. Um, uh, what I love about that is I love it. And then I'm like, right, how do we, how do we get there? And I think Mm. self-acceptance and self-trust is, is, is two vital components for more confidence because you accept yourself. And then you also know that you accept whatever happens in the future. Mm. But that's what's so great about happy, not perfect, I think. And you just said it there because you were like, okay, I love the fact that we're fucking confident, but how, how do we get there? Because I do think that so often in life, people are like, oh, you should be this or try this or do this. And then it's like, but how, you know, the hows, and that's what you're, you're so good at sort of, you know, explaining. Um, so our final quote is a Mark Manson quote, who I'm just obsessed with anyway, but, um, this is pretty self-explanatory, but he just says, we are all pretty average at most things. Uh, I do like that in a way. I do like that in a way because, oh, do I like that? It's, it's, it, I thought it was such an interesting one because he goes on to sort of say, you know, to become truly great at something, you have to dedicate time and energy to it. And, you know, none of us are born incredible at one thing. Um, and a lot of the time it sort of comes back to the comparison thing. Like we all compare ourselves to each other when we're really a lot of the time it, you would compare, you know, your biggest insecurity with someone who's really like flourishing, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. To- no. T- yeah. To- to- totally. Yeah. I mean, I think I do, I do like that to an extent, but in a way I kind of think we're all pretty amazing actually. Yeah. <laughs> Life is hard. And if you're just surviving right now, like, well done, you know, like, guys, we just got through a pandemic. Like, that's not easy. And we just got through working from home. And we've just probably, I'm sure so many people listening have, you know, got into relationships, got out of relationships. I mean, that's torturous. So, you know, it's life is not a, a, ball, a like life is not easy so I do think we're pretty amazing mm-hmm. for just getting out of bed and like doing life what I would say to him to his point about most of us are average and then you know it takes so much work to be kind of more than average I would say that you know sometimes and me included, we compare ourselves to these superstars without without considering what they sacrificed for where they are and I think that's really important because we talk about success but not the sacrifice for that success Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know like something you can't have everything something's got to give so maybe they haven't seen their friends or family I mean I know that was you know my life in my 20s a little bit I didn't see my family at all I was working so much and that was a massive sacrifice for inverted commas like you know to be a bit better than average but 
it didn't really kind of to completely unfold in that way mm. um so yeah interesting quote mm, yeah I thought it'd be a good one to end on um but before we do have to wrap up because we are out of time which is so sad and this has gone so quickly <laughs> but um I, you always ask people on your podcast how they define happiness and I just wondered how you define happiness Poppy Jamie um I define happiness by being flexible and that is the main theme of the book how do we bend around any challenge stretch our problems into gifts and and kind of come back to an equilibrium and when we have the when when we have the knowledge that we can all stretch our thoughts and stretch and bend around any obstacle I think that a, a deep sense of happiness can develop because fundamentally flexibility is like having total trust in ourselves that we can adapt to anything that comes our way love that oh thank you so much poppy and thank you so much for coming on the show with your profound wisdom and yeah it's been it's been so lovely to have you here oh thank you so much for having me it's been such delight and i love this topic of getting through your 20s it is not an easy decade but it is a great one good today let's hope we can all sort of uh, take that as we go because right now I'm like it's the worst time ever <laughs> oh I know how old are you I'm 25 oh 25 yes yeah, so we're right in the middle oh, mm. I think it's really honestly I do think it's really exciting and what I what I would say to my kind of younger 25 year old self is really to like not worry about what people think and just go and do whatever you possibly can because there's there's like everyone is expecting you to fail and in which case you're always going to do better there is no kind of like expectation no one goes oh 25 they should be running a multi-million dollar company you know like at 25 like everyone expects like it not to go that well so if everyone expects for it not to go that well it's like great I've got nothing to lose yeah sort of like being the underdog the whole time it is you're the Mm. underdog in your 20s so it means everyone is also just going to give you way more kind of yeah love support Mm. I think it's a and I I, you know I I do I do I my best ideas came in my 20s because you've got time to like really think oh where's the where's the world going what do I want the world to be like um what can I create in this world to make it get there if you enjoyed this episode then hit subscribe to be the first to get notified of new episodes dropping every Wednesday a big shout out to our composer and producer Pete Haff and a huge thank you to you guys at home for listening feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or reach out on Instagram at 20 not something it's lovely hearing your thoughts on the episode and who you guys are keen to hear from in future with that in mind we'll be back next week with another brilliant guest so stay tuned stay tuned